Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37. Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Jesus continues here in the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Now, once again, as last week, knowing a little bit of background to this section is going to help us quite a bit. Lying to one another, especially in business practices, was very, very common at that day. And, and I'm going to show you what I mean by just giving you just a few of the scriptures that talk about that. And so Jesus is talking about that your yes be yes and your no be no. The depth of what he's getting to is honesty and forthrightness, but especially in their business practices of how they dealt with each other. Have you ever, ever heard the phrase, the, 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 the butcher putting his thumb on the scale? You know, when, they, when they're weighing your meat, they, they kind of carefully put their thumb on the scale, put a little more to it so you'd pay more for the meat. Well, the Jews were masters at that when they would buy and sell with the wheat and they would use scales. Well, let me just let the scripture speak for itself. Go with me to Proverbs chapter 20. In Proverbs chapter 20, look at verse 23. It says, Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. Go to Proverbs chapter 20 and look at verse 10. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Now, isn't that interesting? Verse 10, it says the same thing as pretty much it says in verse 23. Uh, go to Proverbs chapter 11. Look at verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Go to Leviticus chapter 19. Leviticus chapter 19, verses 35 through 37. says, you shall do no wrong in judgment in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have just balances, just weights, a just ephah, and a just hin. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And you shall observe all my statutes and all my rules and do them. I am the Lord. Again, God says it. How many times we already saw in Proverbs? And I didn't show you all of them. Here in Leviticus, he's saying, look, I want you to have just measures and just weights when you do this. Because a lot of times they would cheat each other and they would have weights that said that that weighed that much, but actually it wasn't. And they would cheat whoever it was that they were buying and selling from. Oh, but I'm not even close to done showing you how serious this is to God. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 25. In Deuteronomy 25, look at verses 13 through 16. It says, you shall not have in your bag two kinds of weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and a fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. For all who do such things, all who act dishonestly, are an abomination to the Lord your God. Go to Ezekiel chapter 45. 
In Ezekiel chapter 45, look at verses 10 through 12. You shall have just balances, a just ephah, and a just bath. The ephah and the bath shall be of the same measure. The bath containing one-tenth of an omer, and the ephah one-tenth of an omer. The omer shall be the standard measure. The shekels shall be 20 geras, 20 shekels, plus 25 shekels, plus 15 shekels, shall be your mina. Go to Amos chapter 8. Has anybody started to get an idea that this might have been a problem in Israel? In Amos chapter 8, look at verses 4 through 6. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. Did you catch that? We'll even sell the chaff. Has anybody got an idea yet that this was a problem in Israel? Okay, maybe not. Go to Micah chapter 6. Micah. Go <laughs> I love that, Ray. That's awesome. Micah chapter 6. Look at verses 9 through 12. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it sound is wisdom to sorry, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod of him who appointed it, and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? You, your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Folks, I think you get the idea. We're going to go somewhere tonight as we talk about letting your yes be yes and your no be no. And it's tied to oaths and all that stuff. We're going to dive into it. This is going to be a fun, deep study. But I want you to understand, God knows the truth. And back in this time, when Jesus is talking about let your yes be yes and your no be no, he was talking to a group of people that were pretty well known for cheating each other. Years ago, when I was in seminary, there was a man who hired seminary students to work in his company. And uh, he actually was a seminary student at one time. And while he was in seminary, he'd make a few extra bucks. He started a remodeling company where you would uh, reshingle houses or do some drywall or different things in painting. And he actually uh, hired me to come work for him. Actually, he dropped out of seminary because he made so much money doing this business. He quit the seminary and started this business up. And in New Orleans, he would hire seminary students and they would go to work for him doing this work. And his advertisement in the papers and around was, put a seminary student to work. Do you need a house painted? Do you need a new roof? All this stuff. And I went to work for him starting as a painter. But then he made me a salesman. He, he, he said, you, you're good with people. I'm going to have you become a salesman. And he sent me out on these jobs to go and sell people on us, that company, doing a job for you. And interestingly enough, um, he would have us offer, if, we, if you have this company give you a new roof, will give you free blown-in insulation. But see, I also had been trained how to calculate the price of the job, and I knew that the insulation was calculated into our price. We were told to say that there was free blown-in insulation, but I knew that it wasn't free because we had been trained how to calculate it in and not let the people know. Well, I would not lie and say free blown-in insulation. I would just give the regular price that included the insulation, but I would not say free. I would say, and also with this, we'll give you insulation. Well, of course, I didn't make any sales. And after working for him, 
for three weeks and not making a sale. And by the way, I was straight commission. Three weeks of hunger. <laughs> he sat me down in his big Cadillac and he said, what's your problem? How come you're not making any sales? I said, because I won't lie. He said, it's how you do business. He said, I got this big car because I learned how to separate my Christianity from my business. Oh, be careful. It's real easy for us to say, boy, he's a bad one. We haven't even started our Bible study yet, folks. So uh, let's see what God says to us tonight. Because lying scales were so common, the ones who were getting cheated would ask if the scales were fair. And the dishonest businessmen always would swear that they were. Because it was so common, the people would always, when they're doing business, would say, are these scales fair? And they'd say, oh, yeah, they're, they're fair. But are they really fair? And then they would swear that they were. They'd swear by heaven, or they'd swear by earth, or they'd swear by Jerusalem, or they'd swear by their own heads. But they would never swear by God himself because they knew that the law said not to swear by God. Go to Leviticus chapter 19. In Leviticus chapter 19, look at verse 12. God says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. So the law said very clearly, you do not swear by my name and then lie. If you swear by my name and you do it falsely, you've profaned my name and I'm, I know it. So to protect themselves from breaking the law, they would never swear by God himself. They would swear by heaven, which is close to God, but not God. And they would swear by Jerusalem or the earth or their own heads. But they would never swear by God. So what Jesus does, though, is he says, hang on for a second. Um, when you swear by heaven and by earth and by Jerusalem and by your own heads, God's still involved. You see, heaven is where God's throne is. You're still including God in your swear. Earth is God's footstool. Jerusalem is the city of the coming great king. Oh, by the way, who is God himself? Oh, and also... You, you can swear by your head all you want, but isn't it ultimately God who controls whether or not our hair is white or black? Doesn't the Bible say in Matthew, we'll go to Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 20, 20, Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? How much control do you really have, have over your hair, over how long you live? How much control do you actually have? Well, let me let the scripture answer that question for you. Go to Acts chapter 17. In Acts chapter 17, look at verses 24 through 28. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. Paul says to the Areopagus there on Mars Hill, says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, he said, we are indeed his offspring. Look at what he says. He's determined 
your allotted periods. In other words, he knows the day of your birth. He knows the day of your death. So you can swear by your head all you want. You're still including God because he controls whether or not you breathe. He controls whether or not you live. He controls whether or not your hair is white or black. I know it's not Clairol. It's God that actually controls that. So what he's saying to them is you think you're skipping over the lines and you're, you're okay because you haven't sworn by God himself. But when you do these oaths, you're still including God. But not only were they including God when they made their false vows, but by including God in the vows, they were also making their vows to God as well. And this broke God's law too, when since the vows were false, they didn't keep their vows. Listen to that again. Not only were they including God in their vows by saying, I swear by heaven, which is God's throne, or earth, which is his footstool, or Jerusalem, which is the city of the great king, or by their own heads, when they were not only including God, by including God, they were making their vows to God. Do you understand? Go with me to Numbers chapter 30. Look at verses 1 and 2. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. If you make a vow, you make a promise, and you make it to God, you better keep it. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 23. Look at verses 21 and 22. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 and 22 says this, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you'll be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what has passed your lips, for you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. So here these people are thinking, I know I'm lying to these people. And when they ask me if I'm lying, I'm swearing I'm not lying. But I didn't swear by God. But actually by including God in the swear, they were. And by including God, they were making their vow to God. And they were doubly guilty, not thinking that they're thinking they're innocent. He just shows them now you're twice as guilty as you thought you were. Now, I want to deal with something. Go back to Matthew chapter 5. Over the years, people have taken something that Jesus said here. And they've turned it into something that the Bible doesn't say. And you might have heard many a person say this. When Jesus said not to take or to make an oath at all, you see that there. Look at verse uh, um, 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. A lot of people take what Jesus said there. And he's not saying that taking an oath ever was forbidden. A lot of people say that Jesus said you should never, can't take an oath at all. Have you heard people say, I can't swear on the Bible because Jesus said I'm not to take an oath at all. Or I can't take an oath of office because God has said you're never to take an oath at all. 
Well, that's the problem with building your doctrine from one verse. Because I'm going to show you from Scripture that the Bible actually commands taking oaths in places. And I'm going to show you from Scripture that God took an oath. And I'm going to show you from Scripture that Jesus actually spoke under oath. So if Jesus is saying you should never take an oath, how come the Scripture commands it? How come God did it? How come Jesus did it? That's not what the passage is saying. It's not saying you should never take an oath. Let me clarify from Scripture what I mean. Go to Numbers chapter 5. Look at verses 19 through 21. In Numbers chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. Now, to set the stage as you're turning there, this passage is dealing with a husband who thinks his wife has been unfaithful. But he can't prove it. But he's pretty sure he's right, but he can't prove it. And he's jealous. And he asks her if she's been unfaithful. And she says she hasn't been. But this is how the law set it up that he could find out if she was or wasn't. Go to Numbers chapter 5. Look at verses 19 to 21. It says, Then the priest shall make her take an oath, saying, If no man has lain with you, and if you have not turned aside to uncleanness while you were under your husband's authority, be free from this water of bitterness that brings the curse. In other words, he's, she's, he's about to make her drink something. But if you have gone astray, though you are under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself and some man other than your husband has lain with you, then let the priest make the woman take an oath or the oath of the curse and say to the woman, the Lord make you a curse and an oath among your people when the Lord makes your thigh fall away and your body swell. So she's about to drink this concoction and she's to take an oath that I have not been unfaithful to my husband. And if she's telling the truth, She'll drink it, nothing will happen. If she is lying, because God knows everything, she's going to drink it, and it's going to make her violently ill. But here the scripture says that the priest was to tell the woman to take an oath. So Jesus might not have been saying, we should never, ever take an oath. Let's let the scripture show us what the scripture actually says, but let's build our foundation a little bit more. Go to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews 6, look at verses 13 through 18. Hebrews 6, verse 13, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. All right, so here, well, let's keep reading. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, have, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So again, the scripture says, that God himself took an oath. Go to Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 29 through 31. In Acts chapter 2, verses 29 and following, Peter's preaching at Pentecost. He says, Brothers, 
I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Here again, we see that God made an oath not only to Abraham, God made an oath to who? To David. You see the danger of taking one verse and building your doctrine on one verse? You gotta let the whole of Scripture speak. Jesus himself actually swore under oath. Go to Matthew 26. The same Jesus that in Matthew 5 said, don't take an oath at all, in Matthew 26, takes an oath. Look at verses 63 through 68. Matthew 26, verse 63. Jesus is under trial, as you know, right before the cross, and he remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What's your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him. And some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? They asked him, I, We adjure you by the living God. You take an oath right here by God himself. Are you the Christ? And he said, Yep. And they knew what he said. And that's when they started mocking him and say, hit, Tell us who hit you, Christ, and all this. Jesus, the same one who said, Don't take an oath at all, took an oath. So maybe back here in Matthew chapter 5, we need to take a look at it again. Do you remember back in Deuteronomy when it said, it's better not to vow at all? That'll keep you from sinning. It's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. He's kind of referencing that. Let me use this example. It's a, it's a weak one, but it's, it's not bad. Well, you can judge after I'm done. When our kids were little... We gave them strict rules about what they could say and not say, what words were appropriate, what words were not appropriate. But as they got older, those restrictions went away. Years ago, when Nicole was little, she came home from elementary school at Ocean Breeze crying because the music teacher in the chorus was teaching them this song. And they had to, and I don't remember exactly how it goes, but it was a teddy ta, a teddy ta, a teddy ta ta. And then they would shake their hand, and then they would shake their other arm, and then they would shake their leg, and then they'd shake the other leg. And at the end of the song, they had to turn around on the risers and shake their backside. And she came home in tears. What's the matter, Nicole? Well, the music teacher wants us to shake our bottoms, but I know I'm not supposed to shake my bottom. But years later, we're all sitting at the dinner table, and that song, we, we a lot of times will have music playing while we're having dinner just to have in the background, and that song came up, and Nicole goes, I remember that song. And I remember coming home from school all scared because they were going to make me shake my butt. And I wasn't allowed to shake my butt. And I said, if you remember, when you were little, you weren't even allowed to say butt. <laughs> she goes, that's right. How come I wasn't allowed to say butt, but now it's okay to say butt? I said, here's why. 
Because when you were little, you did not know the appropriate time or the inappropriate time to say but. And so we made a rule that said, don't you ever say but. And you didn't know when it was appropriate or not appropriate to shake your butt. And so we said, don't shake your butt ever. But as you got older, you learned to realize that sometimes it's okay to say but. Some of you are sitting there saying, this is not the time. But <laughs> Jesus says to them, right now you got a problem with this lying stuff. Don't make any vows at all. You're getting yourself in trouble. But was the scripture teaching that you should never take an oath? Like if you're put in office, you can't take an oath of office? No, that's not what the scripture's saying. Was it inappropriate in, in trial to, oh, I can't. God says, I can't put my hand on the Bible and take an oath because Jesus. No, the Bible actually shows us that it's okay to take an oath in certain instances. Oh, but when you do, you better keep the promises that you oath when you go into office and tell the truth when you're standing there in the courtroom, especially, listen closely, because you're probably going to learn something you didn't know tonight, especially as Christians, because as a child of God, to act in a way that God doesn't is to actually take his name in vain. By the way, we for years thought taking God's name in vain was using his name as a swear word. That's not what the Bible teaches. To take his name in vain is to say you're his child and you have his name and then to act in a way in which he doesn't. That is what means it means to take his name in vain. And I'll show it to you from Scripture. Go again to Leviticus chapter 19. And look at verse 12 one more time. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Look at Exodus 20. Look at verse 7. Look at the context. In Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In the context of what's going on here, he's been laying down the one God, the only God, him only shall you worship. And he's saying, when you say you're a worshiper of me, you act in a way that represents me. When you don't act in a way that represents me and you claim to be mine, you actually take my name in vain. When you swear falsely by my name, you're profaning my name. And now, I'm not saying it's okay to use God's name as a swear word. But at the same time, folks, when we walk around as Christians and claim to be children of God, and we do things that are a disgrace to God, we take his name in vain. That's why the Bible says his name is profaned among the Gentiles when he was talking to the, the Jews. Remember how? They would say they were his people and we're God's people and chosen people. Yet they lived in such a way that the Gentiles would profane the name of the Lord. Because if that's who God is, I don't want anything to do with him. Yes, sir. In Matthew 5, isn't he also saying when he says let your yes be yes and your no be no, that it's just as important, important as a Christian just to, to hold to your word that way? Yes, but you're also getting way ahead. Are you trying to get extra points, Steve? Is that what's going on? But yes, that's where we're going. He's talking, Steve was saying, pointing out that when you, when you just say yes, your yes be yes and your no be no as a Christian, that's just as important. You see, 
We should never need to take an oath or swear an oath to get someone to believe us if our yes always means yes and our no always means no. Let me say that to you again. You should never need to take an oath or to swear an oath to get someone to believe you if your yes always means yes and your no always means no. By the way, I want to talk for a second to you parents and maybe grandparents. This is actually a problem in parenting. And the kids are wise enough to know when the mom and dad mean it and when they don't mean it. I remember standing in the uh, Taco Bell one time eating my fancy food. And uh, as we were sitting there, there was a family sitting down and the kid had gotten away from the table and was swinging on those rails that you have to walk through to get in line to get your food. And the parent yelled from across the restaurant, hey, get down from there and get over here. Kid didn't listen. The parent yelled again, get down from there and get over here. Kid didn't listen. Then the parent yelled this, if you don't get over here right now, I'm going to rip your arm off and beat you with it. <laughs> oh, by the way, the kid kept swinging. You know why? The kid knew that wasn't going to happen. By the way, when we raised our kids, you know how some parents will count? One, two, well, we really realized early on, we want our kids to know we meant it when we said it, not when we got to one, two, or three. And so our kids learned early, if we said it and then had to count, one meant one spanking. You were getting one spanking now. Two meant you were getting two. Three meant you better pack your bags. Because <laughs> we don't want, when our kids running across the street, when we say stop with the truck coming, them to wait till we get three. We don't mean it when we got to three. We meant it when we said it the first time. And as parents, you need to be willing to back up what you say. Oh, by the way, that also makes you think before you speak. Don't vow vows that you aren't going to keep. You need to become someone that's known that when they say it, they mean it. And by the way, as I train pastors around the country, one of the things I teach them is, unfortunately, pastors are known for being late. They love to make it look like they're so busy. And sorry I was late, but man, I've been so busy. No, if you tell them you'll be there at 7, be there at 7. Oh, and on top of that, don't exaggerate. A lot of times preachers are famous for and known for exaggerating. Have you ever heard someone say when they told how many people were there, was that ministerially speaking? <laughs> Isn't that kind of sad that preachers are known for their yes not being yes and their no not being no? And if you've lived a life in which you haven't been faithful to your word, when you tell someone the truth, sometimes you have to say, oh, I swear it. Scout's honor. Swear by pinky swear on my mother's grave. We should never need to take an oath or swear an oath to get someone to believe us if our yes always means yes and our no always means no. You see, if we're known as honest and trustworthy because we always do what we say and mean what we say, we never should need to add any type of an oath on our own to get people to believe us. Go to James chapter 5, verse 12. James chapter 5, look at verse 12. Scripture says, But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. Does that sound familiar? 
so that you may not fall under condemnation. Folks, needing anything more than your word comes from evil. Back in Matthew chapter 5, isn't that what Jesus said? Go back to Matthew 5. Verse 37 of Matthew 5. Let what you say be simply yes and no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Yes, sir. Go for it. What's that? Well, the Bible says that we have to be careful, but, it, but at the same time, here's the deal. You can sign a pledge and say, I, to the best of my ability, if I'm still here, I promise to do such a thing. If I'm still here. I understand. Okay, be, be real careful. Be real careful. I understand. But we're not putting people back under law. Remember last week we talked about putting people back under the law? And that's the whole, that's why in James, actually, he talks about that. He said, don't say tomorrow this, we'll do such and so. Say, if the Lord wills. So I got no sign and problem signing a pledge. If I believe that what I'm signing to, God has led me to do. And by God's grace, if the Lord wills and I'm still here and he's asked me to promise this, I got no problem with that. <laughs> Trust me, you're also talking to a preacher that's never asked anybody to sign a pledge. So I would agree with you, Bill. I, I think a lot of that, unfortunately, is tied to this whole problem of we really don't trust people's yes to be yes and their no's to be no's. So I would agree deep down that whole pledging thing and how much I pledge to give. That's again, because man's yes doesn't mean yes and his no doesn't mean no. So I, I would 100 percent agree with you. But at the same time, if I feel like God's released me, I don't mind writing because I've been willing to do that. If the Lord wills, I promise to do this. But buddy, when you do, you better do it. You better do it. Now, he said anything more comes from evil. Like I touched on earlier, sadly, even preachers are known for exaggeration. We puff up the numbers in order to make ourselves look better. By the way, have you noticed sometimes you all, we, by the way, anybody here doesn't have a problem with this white lie kind of a thing? Anybody here saying, you know, I don't have a problem? We all do. We all have a little, and you say, no, I don't think I do. Well, stick around. All right. Um, Jesus trying to get to the heart of man. The Bible actually says we all sin with our tongues in many ways. Go to James chapter 3, and I'll show you what I mean. Now, I'm going to be spending a little bit of time in chapter 3 and chapter 4, but let me just kind of start off with what it says here. It says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. Now, we'll come back to this passage in a second. We all stumble in many ways. We all lie or tell half-truths all the time. No, you didn't wake me with your call. How many of you have ever said that when you were woke up out of the sleep? And they go, hey, did I wake you? No, no, not at all. <laughs> no, I'm not answering the phone on the toilet. <laughs> There's an echo here. I don't know why. Uh, this dirty place, this is how my house always looked. After you've scoured it because you knew the company was coming. And they say, what a beautiful house. And you say, oh, this messy place. We all do it, folks. Yes, professor. I did all the required reading. Years ago when I was in seminary, this professor told this story about this guy that died and went to heaven. 
And as he was heading into heaven, there was all these people standing outside of heaven reading these books. And the guy going into heaven said, what's that? He said, that's all those seminary students required to read all the stuff they said they read while they were in seminary before they can get into heaven. <laughs> By the way, years ago, I was taking an ethics course in seminary, and they would give required reading every night. And i got to be honest with you. Well, I'm going to be straight up honest with you. I rarely did the required reading. I wish I could remember one time that I did the required reading, but God's gifted me to be able to hear and listen. And if I listen, I know what the professors are looking for. But in this course that we had required reading every night, every day when you came to class, there was a pop quiz, but you didn't know if you were going to get the pop quiz or not. The pop quizzes, there were only, say there were 30 people in the class, there might be only 10 or 12 pop quizzes. And what they would do is he would have them in a stack and they would hand it to the person in the front, and you would flip through, and if your name was in it, you had a pop quiz that day to take during the, the class. If your name wasn't there, you're like, oh, good, no pop quiz today. And they passed the papers around, and when one day it came to me, and my name was in the pile, and I took my pop quiz, and it was 10 true or false questions. Now, it's an ethics course. I got all the questions right, one through nine. The tenth question was this. I did the required reading, true or false. I checked false. I mean, it's an ethics course. i got to be honest. Handed it in, and he marked it and graded it and gave me a zero. I went to the man and I said, one through nine are correct. He said, yes, but you didn't do the reading. I said, I said but this is an ethics course. If I had lied and said true, you would have given me a hundred. But I was honest and ethical, and you gave me a zero. He said, you should have done the reading. <laughs> By the way, that hasn't bothered me for 30 years, so don't let that <laughs> be going. But we all struggle with this. We sometimes say things differently than they really are to make ourselves look better. We try to puff ourselves up. Folks, listen to me. I have this problem. You have this problem. Any, yes, this is my natural color. We, anything, anything more comes from evil. It comes from evil. So what we're going to do in the time we have left tonight is we're going to look closely at James chapter 3, verses 1 through chapter 4, verse 17. And then we're going to close with Luke chapter 6. But we're going to listen to how God is trying to get to our hearts. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Not only is, am I called by God to stand up here and here and say things, I'm up here to say, thus says the Lord. I know there are times that I teach things that people disagree with me, but they don't understand how seriously I take what I teach because one day I will be judged by my creator when I face the judgment seat of Christ. Whenever I say, thus says the Lord, I don't take it flippantly. That's why I try to look at the whole of scripture to build my doctrine and not a verse here or a verse there. Because one day, those of us who have been called to teach will be held in a stricter accountability. Why? Because not only are we saying stuff, we're saying God said. That's serious stuff. We all stumble in many ways. And anyone, if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, 
They're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. And the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and is set on fire by what? By the way, this passage is burned in my brain because years ago I was a seminary student and I was on a traveling preaching gig and I love traveling and preaching and I was invited to preach at this church an hour or two from seminary and they brought me in to be the traveling preacher that day and there happened to be a children's sermon at this church that I was preaching at. I was young, I was in my 20s and, and uh, there was a children's sermon and this lady came down to the front. She brought all the kids down there and she had a horse's bit and she had a, a model of a ship and she talked about how the horse's bit is such a small thing but it controls a huge animal the horse and this little rudder see this little rudder on this big ship it controls this whole ship and just like your tongue a little thing but it has tremendous power and when the sermon was over and the service was over i went up to that lady and i said i gotta be honest with you those were some of the coolest illustrations i've ever heard where did you get those illustrations? <laughs> and she said, um, preacher, it's in the book of James. That got me furious, furious about getting serious about knowing the book, because I surely embarrassed myself. Look at verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. You don't mind highlighting, underlining, put that down closely. No human being can tame the tongue. You try to bite your tongue. You try to stop saying things you shouldn't say. You're never going to get there, folks. The scripture says no human being can tame the tongue. Let God be true and every man a liar. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And by the way, this isn't just swear words. This is actually talking bad about our brothers and our sisters, tearing them down, lying to them. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who's wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. In other words, don't lie. If, if your heart's really this way, don't pretend it's not. God knows. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels? And what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, you, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You don't have because you don't ask. 
And then you ask and you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on, on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? Real quickly, is James writing to believers or unbelievers? I think that's kind of clear, isn't it? There's a problem. Our tongues. How we speak about each other, how we gossip about each other, how we profane the name of God and how we treat each other with our words. And folks, we act like, well, I'm only sharing this with you because I want you to pray more specifically. No, we are doing damage. And the Bible's very, very clear that how we treat each other will be the real evidence of whether or not we're walking in the spirit. And he says, you cause the spirit that he's placed in you to be jealous. But he gives more grace, folks. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble Write unto us, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there's only one lawgiver and only one judge, and he's able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge? Your neighbor. Oh, come now, you say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. Do you see how this all ties together? What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do, and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. Probably might be the first time many of you have ever read those two chapters all together without breaking them apart. And you see the context. It starts with... What we say and how we act. Folks, let me just tell you, one of the things that grieves me as a pastor, one of the things that grieves me as a traveling preacher, one of the things that grieves me is how the church tears each other apart. So what are we going to do? We're going to vow to do better? No human being can tame the tongue. Oh, but he gives more grace. He gives more grace. Humble yourselves before God. Say, God, I thank you that I'm forgiven of my sin, but that doesn't mean I'm not still embarrassing you in the way I act, and the things that I've said, the things I say to my wife, the things that I say to my husband, how I treat my kids, how I act toward my boss. Father, I don't want to be a disgrace to your name, but I can't fix this. Even though I'm forgiven of all this, you want to live your life in such a way that I'm not, I'm not grieving you. I'm not quenching your power. So I've come to you today and I say, would you do this work in me? Would you begin to make what has already been given to me evident to the people around me? May the evidence of your spirit be known by the fact that I'm loving and kind and peaceful and gentle. Even if they say bad things about me, 
I'll respond with peace. I'll be okay because you're my God. I don't feel like I need to retaliate. I don't think I have to defend myself. I'm willing to just trust that you'll do what you said you're going to do. And God, do this work in me. Go to Luke chapter 6. Look at verses 43 through 45. Jesus says, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Years ago, when I had the privilege of being the pastor here at First Baptist in the Atlantic, I did a whole series in the book of James. And that series was entitled, What's in Your Bucket? And I remember starting the whole series with a big five-gallon bucket. And I asked everybody as I held it up. I want to make sure I held it high enough that the people in the balcony couldn't see. And I said, what's in this bucket? Of course, nobody knows. There's only three ways you're going to know what's in this bucket. One is we'll pour it out and what's in there will come out. Another way is you could get high enough to peek in and see what's this bucket. And another way that you can find out what's in the bucket is give it a good knock. And what splashes out is what's in the bucket. And the Bible's very, very clear that when we get hit, how we react shows what's in the bucket. Now, this is not a are you saved or not saved conversation. This is what are you drinking? What are you living? Are you living in the power of the Spirit? If you're walking with Jesus, your bucket's going to be full of Jesus. You're not grieving Jesus. You're not quenching the Spirit. You'll be full of the Spirit, under the control of the Spirit. And when something hits you in life, your reaction will be of the Spirit. If, even though He's in you, you're focused on the flesh and your own self, that's what's going to be filling your bucket. And when you get hit, you're going to react with what's in your bucket. Folks, I'm not going to ask you. But maybe I should ask your spouse, what's in your bucket? What would your spouse say is in your bucket? What would your kids say is in your bucket? My prayer, by God's grace, as we humble ourselves, is that we walk with Jesus on a daily basis. We allow him to have control. We come to him for that daily cleansing. We ask him to do his work in us that he's begun, that he's promised to finish and that when we walk in the Spirit, people could say, that man's bucket is full of Jesus. Because that's all I ever see come out of it. That's not going to happen by you trying to do better and trying to stop this or stop that. No, you walk with Jesus. And what will be in your bucket will be Jesus. And it'll come out as the people interact with you. Is it wrong to ever take an oath? No. But just when you do, make sure you do what you said you're going to do, because otherwise you profane the name of the Lord your God. But maybe for some of us, it'd be good to stop taking oaths. Don't shake your butt for a while till you can handle it. <laughs> I love you. See you next time.